Welcome to Rock That Relationship, a podcast about all things relationship with Corey and Tracy. Now let's get real and start creating relationships that rock. Welcome to episode eight of Rock That Relationship with Corey and Tracy. We're so excited to be here today. We're so excited about this whole season. This has been a great opportunity for us to share for each of us the four biggest lessons that we've learned in our relationships and and many of which have been kind of past relationships, live and learn kind of thing. And, you know, giving us eight topics of things that we think are so important for us to really look at. And today we're going to be talking about giving others the benefit of the doubt and talking a lot about, you know, when we're looking at, you know, people being, you know, inherently good, or is it, are we assuming the worst in them? We've talked a little bit about that in previous podcasts. Um, what do we do when we're, we feel like maybe we're giving the benefit of the doubt too much to people? Is there a line? Is there, you know, is there a limit to that, our generosity or our forgiveness and, and same with others with us. So today we're going to really kind of take a look at our experiences with, giving others the benefit of the doubt and how it can help us and how it should help us be able to uh, have better, stronger, and more productive relationships. So let's get us kind of kicked off here. I mean, Tracy, you know, we've, we talked about this before. um, And a lot of times, you know, we talk about a lot of these things before we even get on the podcast, which is why we even came up with this podcast is because we had so many kind of interesting conversations where sometimes we agree or have similar experiences and, and sometimes we don't. And, we actually got into this conversation where we talked about, you know, with the benefit of the doubt, are people inherently good? Do we believe that people are inherently good and that thus deserve the benefit of the doubt? Right. And so I, I'm just going to ask you, I'm going to start off, Tracy, with your thought. What is it? What comes up for you both like in your thoughts and your feelings, even a visceral reaction when I say people are inherently good? What do you, what do you think about that? I say no. I mean, <laughs> just no, I say, just straight up, not good. All right. I say 50%, maybe 50%. No, I don't think, I don't agree with that. That's something people always said, you know, about the diary of Anne Frank, that Anne Frank, I think she wrote that in there that people are inherently good, but I'd like to see what she would have written after she um, got out of the concentration camps. If she, you know, had, I think that we have to, in the context of a relationship with someone that's different than just like in the general world, are people, you know, I don't go around thinking, Oh, everybody's good. Everybody's good. I feel like that's a little bit head in the sand. Right. But if I'm having a relationship with someone, be it um, friendship or, you know, dating, yes, I'm going to have to assume, and I haven't always, and that's because of my, you know, childhood issues that what they're doing comes from a good place, you know, even if they're having, it comes out in the wrong way. You see what I'm saying? Like there's a global view of people. And then there's the view that you have of the people that are close to you and that you let into your inner circle. I mean, do you think all people are good, inherently good? Well, I don't know if I believe every single person is inherently good, but I believe everybody has good in them, or at least a vast, vast majority of people have good in them and they're not necessarily out to hurt other people. Um, but you know, it's hard in a world of political divisiveness and, you know, uncivil discourse and things where to, to keep this view. I mean, this is sort of my glass half full view of, you know, assume the best out of people. 
but it's hard sometimes when we, we see a lot of, I don't know, calamities and, you know, real horrible things happening around us all the time. And, and that makes it really difficult. But I would say if I had to land on something, I would say a vast majority of people are inherently good, but I will say with a grain of salt too, that people who are inherently good don't always do good things. Right. I think that even holds true for me. I think I'm a really good person, but I make mistakes. I've done things that I look back and wish that I could do differently because they weren't necessarily the best things to do. So, but you didn't uh, do it out of a mean place. Like if you're dating someone and you're like, Oh my gosh, this person is not a good person and they're doing a lot of mean things. Well, you should get out of that situation, you know, as soon as possible, but we're talking about we're in a relationship and we love this person, be they a dating relationship or sister or friend or whatever. I'm going to assume now going forward in my life that what they're meaning is, is well-meaning that they're not trying to be hurtful, you know, like giving them yep. the benefit of the doubt. Well, yeah. I mean, in theory, you vetted them to some extent, right. To make right. sure. Cause I think people and some people will give people the benefit of the doubt with no earnings behind it. Right. Like you give trust right. until it's broken. Some people, you have to earn it. So I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt, you know, because I, I know you really well. And this, what you're doing right now is inconsistent with your previous behaviors. I know that this isn't really a malicious thing, or, you know, I might say, you know, I don't know you very well, but I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt and just assume, you know, that you're making a good choice here or a a non-malicious choice and then backpedaling if that doesn't work. But I would say that by the time I have people in my inner circle, I've vetted them so that I know what their real selves are like. Um, or at least I hope that I have done that. But well, let's, let's put an example. So you're in a relationship, a dating relationship. You got the two people, somebody comes home from work, the other person's already home and some cranky things are said or some kind of critical things are said, you know, you know that you love this person. So rather than flying off the handle, which is what I've done a hundred million times, Oh my God, you're just, you mean that such a mean way, like settling down, letting that sit for a second and thinking, you know what? I bet this person's had a hard day or I'm having a hard day. So I'm receiving this in, in a more sensitive way. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, that, that is way more productive of a response, right? Than building off of it and being defensive and then cycling back around. And I mean, you, you know, then you get in this kind of loop, give someone the benefit of the doubt, especially if their behavior is inconsistent with who you know them to be. I mean, and that's the other question too, as we look at like people are inherently good, you know, this idea of good and bad, you know, it's like these kind of, you know, dichotomies or polar opposites, Mm -hmm. you know, who am I to say who's good and who's bad really kind of, I'm looking at it more like someone who demonstrates, you know, loving, you know, respectful, you know, intentionally positive behavior towards other people. That would be what I would define as good. And if I'm dating someone who that's who they typically are, because I would assume I would be with somebody who was like that and they did come home and they were cranky. I'd say this is inconsistent with my mental scripts about what I know about this person. And instead of getting upset about it and say, this goes against your, you know, your essence, I, you know, I would say, are you okay? Mm-hmm. try to see this is part of this part of these podcasts are just like this in retrospect what i right. wish i would have done and uh, in that case i wish i would have said are you okay you know are you are you, did you have an okay day or are you feeling okay or is there something i can do instead what i did was get mad and say why are you being so mean to me and why are you yelling at me and then it would it would loop around escalates so. well then it escalates right exactly. and i mean i'm totally 100 percent guilty of that both in perception and doing it 
and, right. and rather than that other person just saying, Hey, are you okay? Or what's up? You know, you react. So I've always been a very reactive person and that is something I'm really trying to change. And, you know, I just got off the phone with my therapist a little while ago and I had lunch with a friend today and they both have this view that kind of you're, you're set in your ways, you know, by fifties in your fifties. And I totally disagree. Like I, I mean, yeah. Okay. Maybe some people are, a lot of people are, but if you want to change, you can change. I mean, I'm a living proof of that. I am not perfect. I have made a lot of mistakes in my life and I want to change. And one of those things is being less reactive, you know, Mm -hmm. Even well, that, pickleball is helping me a lot with that. <laughs> because you just, you can just focus on the ball. And no, it's because <laughs> if you react, if you just react, if you just, you know, freak out, if you just, you know, have like a, a knee jerk reaction, you're going to mess up. Yeah. And yeah. I think that's true for life. You just have a knee jerk reaction to the person that you're with versus giving them the benefit of the doubt. You're going to escalate the situation and it's going to, no matter what, not turn out as well as it could have. And yeah. Okay. We talk about, I don't, I don't know that we seem like we know what we're, we're perfect, but we are learning from our mistakes. So people learn from our mistakes. (laughs) I still need to learn from my mistakes. I'm talking about learning from my mistakes, you know, but I think about it in the opposite sense too, is, you know, how important it is for me to be with friends, a partner or whoever, surround myself with people who also give me the benefit of the doubt. I remember in a past relationship, you know, I might have like a, a grumpy or cranky day and something will fly out of my mouth and I'll think, oh, oh, that wasn't very, very nice. or that wasn't very good. And I'll try to backpedal it, but it's, you know, we've gone down the rabbit hole mm-hmm. and my partner at the time would, you know, react, be also mm-hmm. reactive and then escalate. And then I would escalate. And I said one time to her, I said, you know, what would be really nice. It said, you you know that sometimes I have these anxiety things and I definitely am trying to work on it. I'm, I, but I'm not perfect. And sometimes things come out. I said, you know, it'd be really nice is if you, if you see that happening, I said, I would really love it. If you would just put your hand on my shoulder and say, what can I do to help? Mm-hmm. I said, that is what I need. Give me the benefit of the doubt so that I know that you're here to support me. And I said, and I'm going to do my very best to not have these little moments of anxiety. And I've certainly done a lot better, but I think I wanted to work in partnership And I needed the benefit of the doubt to do that. And that never was something that kind of manifested in our relationship. And therefore, if either of us kind of got cranky or out of sorts, it it just did escalate. Well, and there you go. Communication, right? Just brought back my favorite topic is communication. And wait, I thought your favorite topic was therapy. Oh, well, I have a lot of favorite topics. (laughs) And one of them is pickleball also, but, um, (laughs) you know, and like, that's the thing. If you don't, I think all of us need to learn how to communicate well and how to not re- be reactive. The world would be such a better place and all of our relationships yeah. would, would really improve. But it's really hard because you come to a relationship with all kinds of, you know, as we call baggage, you know, along with you. Mm-hmm. And mental scripts, like mm-hmm. this idea that we, you know, we talked about this before is this assuming the worst in others. Like if we don't have enough information, what we do, uh, we referred to this before as the ladder of inference. You fill in the story with your own biases, your own experiences, your own vantage points, and basically create a story where they're, you know, because you don't have the full in- set of information. And what ends up happening is we assume the worst in, in other people and mm-hmm. without even knowing that we're doing it. And sometimes it gets so hard to differentiate between what our assumptions are and what our reality is. And then if we have an assumption that someone is cranky because 
of, of some particular reason that isn't really true. And then we get cranky, mm-hmm. you know, we're not giving them the benefit of the doubt either by just assuming that someone is coming from a malicious place. Mm-hmm. And do you think that's different than speculating? Do you think this ladder of inference is, I, I do. I, I mean, I do yeah. like speculating. We should talk about in a second, but the ladder of inference is like, you have, it's like these things are already on the rungs of the ladder and you just kind of put them in that place. Like, okay, well, it, they must be acting this way because of this. Right. Exactly. Right. Yep. So it's like, oh, I already know what this person's coming, what, what their problem is. Yes. It's like, and, like, yeah. uh, I guess that's a bias, right? It's like a preformed thought about what is their deal based on maybe past behavior, but also that's, that's the other thing. It's like, this is why I'm so hopeful about people can change, you know, is you don't really know unless you're talking to that person. You don't know why they're acting like that. Right. And sometimes they might even tell you, and it's not even really all that accurate because they're not as, you know, they're not not sure. They're not sure. But the idea is, is that we fill it in and then we behave a certain way. And and that really affects whether we give someone the benefit of the doubt, especially if our ladder of inference fills in those stories with negative things. Like you must Mm -hmm. be doing this to me because of this, you know, and it has nothing to do with that. It's history. It could even just be something that happened during the day. Um, It could, you know, even something like, like they went to a meeting and some the person they were supposed to present with was late and it ruined the whole presentation and they were really frustrated. And then they come home at night and you come home and you're late for dinner, just that very same night. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden it's like, why are you always late? You don't disrespect right. me. I've worked really hard on this dinner for weeks and weeks. And you're like, you did not, you were, you know, and then you, right. then you realize they're talking about this presentation with their coworker. Right. So sometimes it's like the deep seated issues and sometimes it's just something in the, in the present. But the idea is, is that, you know, we sort of jump to these conclusions. Mm-hmm. Well, when you talked about before, you mentioned speculating being a little bit different, but we use speculating as a way to also not give people the benefit of the doubt because we speculate. So, you know, when, when we talk about that, what, you know, what do you think in terms of speculating, how does that relate to, you know, our topic with benefit of the doubt? Well, I mean, I don't know how it relates to the topic. You'll have to, you're the professor here. You're going to have to put that together. But I think when I'm talking about speculating, which I have told you many times, do not speculate. Like, no, that is your you, favorite thing to tell me. Yeah. Because you don't know, we have no idea what that other person is doing or thinking, especially if we're not in contact with them or the relationship is having difficulties. If you start to speculate, you're just going to spiral, spiral into this horrible place where you're like, Oh, I know they're doing this. I know this is happening. I know they're thinking this. And you know, how does that help you? I mean, I'm always saying stop speculating. I, I think it's a terrible thing. I'm more, even though I'm the more scattershot of us, like I like evidence probably because of my background, but like, show me the evidence. Talk to me. Tell me what you're actually thinking. Because if I sit here and just speculate about it, how could I possibly be right? I mean, yeah, okay, I might have a chance of being right, but it, the likelihood is I'm not. And does it even matter? Like, I need to hear it from the person. We should hear it from the person. I haven't always been very good at, you know, giving somebody that that benefit, you know, or, or the time to tell me that, right? And of course, m- me, I'm like immediate answers, you know? I do not like to take space. So I want to know right then and there, or I will make shit up in my head. <laughs> well, I think you hit, you hit it on the head a little bit here with your evidence-based stuff. You know, I, I am a professor and I spend 
literally all day theorizing about what could be and not what is, which I think is really interesting. And that's really what speculating is, is coming up with a theory as to why something is the way that it is. And so I might look at a text and, you know, for 10 minutes, what does it mean? What does this one word mean? What, instead of saying like, Hey, what did you mean by that? I would, I wouldn't mm-hmm. ask that. And I haven't asked that. And I'd like to start being the person that does ask that. But instead I try to make up all different kinds of things that I think mm-hmm. that it could possibly be. And instead you know, and, and, you know, this kind of doom and gloom, like I read into it and it's not usually positive, as positive, you know, as it could be, it's more negative. Well, they meant this and they meant that. And, and I, in, you know, doing my professorial duty here, Tracy is bringing it back to the topic is, you know, how is that really giving someone the benefit of the doubt that they're coming from a kind of a non-malicious positive place? If I'm going to read into something without clarifying it and making up, you know, what it might mean in my own head, then that isn't really giving someone the benefit of the doubt. That's assuming that they're, they're, you know, this text was really rude. And I was like, wait a minute, hold on. Was it really rude or am I just misinterpreting it? Or was there a miscommunication or was it a joke gone awry? Right. Um, or was it a short text? That's very, I've been accused of that a lot of like, oh, your texts are so short and rude or they're, and I'm like, well, I was, you know, doing this while I was writing that text or I was doing that because I think that you want a quick answer versus, you know, an hour later that I can write a more, thoughtful text with grammar and all that. Right. I mean, I think, again, you have to communicate with that person and that goes for both the receiver and the giver. If you are receiving stuff that you're upset about, then ask the person or talk about it, verbalize that, Hey, it's upsetting to me that, you know, this happened and then give that person the opportunity to explain without just being mad. Well, yeah. And I love this advice because you give it to me all the time. So as we talk about lessons learned, this is one of those lessons I've learned in my brain and I still have a really hard time executing it. I don't know if it's just because I'm pre-programmed to speculate about life and I just do that for a living or because I have some kind of fear. I think you've been doing it long before you did it for a living. And also I like to point out, not only do you come up with theories, which I do as an attorney as well, then you have to, you do surveys, right? You send out surveys, getting answers from people about things like, what do you think of? So you do both because I do in order evidence, for you yeah. to make the survey, you've got to come up with the questions first, right? So we can ask the questions. We can put that in our mind, but then we have to seek the evidence. So I can right. have three theories going on, but then I need to know, okay, I can't just, I'm not just going to pick one of the three theories and say, oh, that's what it is. That's why that person's upset. Okay, here's my three theories about why this happened. Now I'm going to go and find the evidence, which would be asking the person what's what's going on. In, right. in a non-confrontational way, I've not been good at that. I know, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, okay. So then let's go back to this. So this is one of those areas where, you know, like we when when I talked about the on the episode about things like watering the garden, uh, I, you know, felt really confident that I had learned something from that. I was d- actively doing something different in my current relationship and showing up in ways that I wanted to show up. This is one of those where it's not necessarily giving others the benefit of the doubt. Cause I do try to do that, but the speculating part of that, which undermines giving others the benefit of the doubt, I'm still really struggling with, and I'm still not doing it. So the question is, why am I struggling so much? Am I scared of the answer? That's what I'm thinking. I'm scared of mm. the answer or am I scared of the confrontation, right? Is it just mm. the confrontation? I don't care what the answer is. I don't want to be in conflict. Um, you know, or is that it is that a, I, you know, yeah. I don't know. This is kind of like a existential question. I don't know. Am I scared of the, the process or am I scared of the answer? But it, so- it's also different per each situation, right? Well, I mean, well, those are two different things. There are people who are conflict avoidant. And I, when we get into, I think we should do a whole season on attachment stuff because 
that really defines how people are going to show up in a relationship and, or is it situational, right? Like, Mm -hmm. is this a personality trait of yours? Do you have a a certain attachment style or are these things you're doing in certain situations? Cause I don't think you do that across the board. And no, I you know you're right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I would agree with you. Right. It's a certain, and, it, and it, so I don't know that it's conflict avoidant, but I think, you know, for, you know, folks that are listening is like trying to figure out if you're speculating and you're, or you're doing the ladder of inference or whatever it is where you're basically making up your answers in stories because you don't have, you're not seeking out the actual answer. Why are you doing that? And so right. why are you not getting the answer? Why are you fear? not getting the answer? Do you not know where to get it or right. how to get it? Is it something technical or is it more like in my mind, I'm wondering if I just don't, it's safer to not know the answer because I'd mm-hmm. rather sit with a couple different theories because I like one of them better than the other. And I'm afraid that might not be true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think you have to ask yourself that like as the person who's wondering who's sitting there, you know, speculating and spiraling out of control is why aren't you just getting the answer? Right. And, 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 you know, a whole nother podcast is like, when you get that answer, why are you not believing or trusting that that's the truth? But again, a strong relationship is built on communication, honest, open communication. And And I feel like everything in a relationship should be talked about everything. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, and I, I would say, you know, as someone who is a communication major, I love communication. It is easier said than done. Um, it takes, I think so. It takes both people to commit to being honest, open, and transparent on a consistent basis. Even if what they have to communicate is something that's difficult or something that's embarrassing or vulnerable. That's, I think that asks for a lot from people. Well, here's a question and here's something that someone should research. They probably already have, but like who's, what relationships are going to be more successful? A relationship with one good communicator and one not so great communicator? One relationship with two great communicators or one relationship with two people who really don't want to communicate? Is I mean, one of those going to be more successful than the other? Well, clearly the one where I think the two people can communicate well, but I, I'm wondering if it's, if the, if the situation where you've got one really good communicator and one who isn't a very good communicator, I'm wondering if that's kind of the worst combination of all, at least the two mm-hmm. people aren't communicating or really They're like whatever from each yeah. other. <laughs> you know, the two but then them. they maybe grow apart and they don't even know it. Right. Because yeah. they're like, whatever. Yeah. You know, right, right, right. I don't know. So I, I mean, as we take this back to this idea of giving people the benefit of the doubt, if we're not clarifying what someone might have meant by their behaviors or their, their communication or their, their words or their texts or whatever that they're doing, then we're going to make some potentially some more likely negative assumptions and not giving them the benefit of the doubt that they're coming from a good place. And, and a lot of times if, you know, I've found that if I clarify and I've asked someone like, what, you know, I say, you know, that, interaction was, you know, really difficult for me, even though I sat with it for two weeks and was seething about it. And then I finally bring it up and I say, you know, it was really difficult. And I get back, oh my gosh, I had no idea. I didn't mean that at all. That's not, I Mm -hmm. I came from this perspective. And then I feel almost embarrassed that I waited two weeks Mm -hmm. and that I thought that I had any kind of bad thoughts about this person, that they were, they're being mean or they're just not, they don't care about me or they're being disrespectful. Come to find out that they, that is not at all. And, and so I, by waiting, and not communicating, I am definitely not giving them the benefit of the doubt. And I'm building up that sort of, you know, spiral or that mountain out of a molehill thing. That's totally unnecessary. Well, here's an example. I I had a friend who said she was coming to Phoenix from Seattle and I'm down in Tucson. And I was like, Oh my gosh, I'm so hurt. Right. But 
I was only hurt for three minutes because I don't wait. And I texted her and I said, I'm really hurt that you're going to visit someone in Phoenix and you're not coming to Tucson. And you had said you were going to come to Tucson, you know, and she explained why and what was going on. And then I felt a lot better and she apologized. And she's like, you know, I didn't mean to hurt your feelings and all that. But if I had just let it fester, that would have really affected the relationship. Because in the first three minutes, I'm like, forget this friendship. This is no friendship. You know, this person's got other friends who are better and better. She wants to hang out with them and not with me. And, you know, I literally, I'm like three minutes, bam, I'm asking the question. Because I don't want to sit there and be upset about it. Well, and that's the thing too, is, you know, what a lot of times I know that I've done and I know a lot of people do is instead of just, you know, you get, you know, this friendship's terrible. I'm done with it. Or I'm breaking up with this person, right? Mm -hmm. After one thing, they, they, you know, how, how awful that they did this to me, you know, instead of actually saying something to the person, again, giving them the benefit of the doubt, we go to our friends and we go to other Mm -hmm. people and we get these external opinions and we get this, like, Mm -hmm. you know, we start talking about our relationships with other people. And can you believe that, that this happened and that other person, you know, they have no idea what's going on and they're, they start speculating with even less information than you have and they start working you up and then, you know, things danger. Yeah. Get out blown out of proportion. And then now Mm -hmm. all of a sudden you're even more upset and less likely to talk to, you know, whoever, you know, whoever you're, you're friends with or dating. And so I think that that also can undermine, you know, your ability to give someone the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. And you have to be careful. We do need to seek guidance from friends. We do need to talk to friends even about friendships, about relations, you know, dating relationships. Like, I think it's really important. You know, a Russian lady once said to me, I don't need a therapist. I have friends. Mm-hmm. And that's like, friends can serve a lot of functions, right? We need to talk to our friends, but we also have to be careful and we have to look at, is this friend working me up too much? Is this mm-hmm. friend too invested in this? Why are they, you know, giving this advice? Like I take everybody's input, but I, then I do what I want to do. And I'm really careful not, I don't care if you don't like my friend. I don't care if you don't like who I'm dating. I could, I could care less, but I'm still going to listen to what you're saying. You know, if you, if, if either I ask you or you want to say something about it, but that is a very, you need to really toe that line because that can really end in disaster for a relationship. Well, and I think part of it too, is as much as like, so I'll solicit inform, you know, advice or guidance from friends or even my mom is my kind of go-to person. And I'll find that, you know, is, is cognitively aware of the fact that I might disagree with what they're saying. And I'm like, oh, that's just one opinion. I'm going to put it over here in this little spot in my brain. The fact is, is that I am not immune to that kind of external influence. Like if three or four people are saying the same thing. And I'm just like disregarding it. Like, no, no, I don't agree. I'm mm-hmm. going to like what you're saying. I'm just going to do whatever I want. At, at some point, I, my, my little shield of armor kind of comes down. I get by continuing to solicit this. It does make a difference. It's got to mm-hmm. be going somewhere in my head. It's got to be affecting me somehow, even if it's just my mood. And then of course I'm behaving in ways, you know, it's like that are just, you know, out of character. And then mm-hmm. of course, undermining this whole benefit of the doubt thing, which I found myself doing. I've had like, you know, maybe a small disagreement with a partner and I talked to somebody about it and they got, you know, they got me worked up. I got worked up, whatever the case may be. And then I talked to somebody else. And then by the end of these couple of conversations, I'm just so upset about something that was so minor when I got on, you know, got in touch with my friends to begin with. And next thing you know, I have just completely derailed whatever the situation is, even though I know I can literally say, you know, Hey, you're giving me this advice and I'm going to take it with a grain of salt. It still affects me. Right. But if you didn't talk to someone and it was just you in your own head, wouldn't that be 
perhaps equally as bad? Yeah. I mean, I do think having trusted people to talk to about Mm -hmm. things is important, but the other thing too, and I, I think you mentioned this earlier is kind of seeking out those people to talk to that may be better situated for a particular situation. So like, like if they don't have a particular bias or an investment, um, maybe you want to go get some more neutral, someone who's a little further away, or maybe you want to get someone who's closer to the situation. Like maybe you don't want to talk about a work issue with someone at work, but you want to talk about it with a friend who knows nothing about work because you know that maybe you'll get a totally different vantage point. I think it's not always like you always have to have the same exact go-to people for every single thing that's going on. Um, you know, I've had relationship issues where I go to a couple of people and I talk to them, but then I've had, you know, there's something that just strikes me as like, this would be a really good thing to talk about with X person because they have this experience or they, you know, they know me in this context. So I think for me, discernment about who to talk to is important in being able to try to get that chatter out of my head that, you know, you know, kind of gets me riled up. Well, and I've actually had very interesting and positive experiences with strangers you know, like with people in random situations where I am a person who pretty much talks about most things. I mean, I'm not a private person that may be obvious to people who meet me and I want to talk about things. I think it's really important to talk about things. And so I'll talk about things, run something by a stranger. And it sometimes is so profound what you get. And it's somebody who doesn't know you and doesn't know that person that you're talking about. And they can see things in an entirely different way. I mean, I have, you know, a roommate right now, very temporary. She's trying to figure out what she wants to do with her situation. And I asked her several very pointed questions. Um, And she's like, my therapist hasn't asked me those questions in 10 years, you know? Mm-hmm. So sometimes we get input from different places. I'm well, not saying you need to go on blabber everything to everybody, <laughs> but I've had some pretty interesting conversations at bus stops. But you know, I, I think what's funny about that too, is that, you know, it kind of goes back to this idea that we're, we're the politest and the most positive with, with, well, typically with people that we don't know, like we'll go out of our way to hold the door for someone at a store, but then let it slam on the person that we're walking through the door with that we mm-hmm. came to the store with. But it kind of goes the same way. Like if you're talking to a stranger about something, some issue that's happening, that stranger will more than likely not only just ask you good questions, but will also take a positive view of it. Well, maybe they didn't mean it that way, or maybe they had a really hard day. Part of it is because they're just trying to be polite, but that also, you know, helps them give you an opportunity to give your partner or your friend the benefit of the doubt, right? You're literally seeking out people who are tend to be more polite to strangers and they're going to give you some kind of positive, you know, feedback. You, it may be a good way of kind of winding it down or balancing it out because I know when I go to some of my close friends, they get, they're more upset about it than I am. Right. Because they're so right. close to it. So yeah, you have to be careful about that, right? Yeah. Very careful. I mean, you know, here I was with some very, very minuscule issue. And now my friends have riled me up. And then if I go talk to a stranger, they're like, well, maybe that person was just having a bad day. And then you're like, Mm -hmm. okay. So Mm -hmm. seeking that out is really important. Um, Let's talk a little bit about this idea of why we haven't given people the benefit of the doubt. Like what, what is the drawback? Like for, for us and thinking about like, you know, I'm worried if I keep giving someone the benefit of the doubt and I keep like kind of assuming the best intentions and that they're not being malicious, like why wouldn't we all do that? Doesn't that sound like just a great thing to do, right? Wouldn't the world be a more loving place? Yes. Yes. So why yes. don't we, then why don't like, why what are some we? of the reasons that you haven't done it? Cause well, we've all because I didn't it. have good coping skills. My coping skills were, um, anger, just being yeah. angry. Just my, like I said, Probably for the first, you know, I mean, from the ages of 11 to 
48 reactive to everything, maybe Mm -hmm. even to 50 reactive. Like, I think I've said this before. This is the first time I've been single in my adult life. Right. And I don't like it, but I'm trying to learn from it. And I'm trying to see like, you know, what went wrong. And it's a lot of it is my reactivity. And I want to get that out of myself. And I think that, you know, for me, that's, that is my childhood, you know, like going into adulthood pattern of way of being, of dealing with everything reactive, Mm -hmm. boom, react, boom, react. I've never, you know, just sat and, and like thought about things or taken that time to come back and, I mean, I'm, when I say take time, that could be like three minutes versus, you know, 10 seconds. I've always been the bam, mm-hmm. boom, mm-hmm. made it my penny got mad. So how does you that undermine me? your ability to give people the benefit of the doubt? Like being reactive, what does that do to you giving people the benefit of the doubt? Because you, if you're reactive, I mean, and generally when I was reactive, it was in a more negative way, right? So I'm not going to give them the benefit of the doubt. Like, it's just going to happen so quickly. And I think mm-hmm. that, you know, with anything you do meditation, if, if people say, Oh, do we want people to be better people and whatnot? It's the answer is always slowing down, thinking more rationally, thinking more clearly. And when you're reactive, you really don't think clearly. And mm-hmm. so you are, I think more likely to fall into that negativity trap, right? Bam. You're trying to judge me. Bam. You're saying something about me. I don't like, mm, you're saying something that's really upsetting about my family or whatever I'm doing rather than, Hey, maybe this person is concerned or I don't think when you make such a quick judgment, you, you do it in a positive way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I mean for sense. me, you know, yep. And I mean, I used to be way more reactive. Well, I would even say defensive. Not only did I move quickly, but then I was, you know, always defended my behavior. And I think that a lot of times came from kind of ego. I don't mm-hmm. like being wrong. I don't like being taken advantage of. And if I give someone the benefit of the doubt over and over and over, I'm like, it's okay that you did this. It's okay that you did that. I know it came from, didn't come from a bad place. And I do that over and over again. It somehow makes me look and feel bad. Like I'm not worthy enough to stand up for what I want and need by letting this person take advantage of me. Um, and, and so that for me is why I, I've done that before. Now I realize that, you know, it's not a zero sum game. It's not like all of a sudden it's mm-hmm. like, you know, I gave you the benefit of the doubt seven times. And therefore now I, you know, people are going to look at me differently. It's, you know, really it depends on the situation. Am I giving you the benefit of the doubt because you basically were having a difficult day and you, you acted out of, uh, you know, a place that isn't like your normal or typical behavior. That's one thing. Or am I giving you the benefit of the doubt that you're doing harmful things that are harming our relationship? And I'm like, it's okay. I know you cheated on me because I'm just not there enough. Like, is that what I'm doing? And if that's what I'm doing, then I need to check myself. And so I think for, for me, I've had to, to balance between, you know, when is it really a benefit of the doubt for someone's kind of, again, going back to their behavior that's, you know, kind of more benign mm-hmm. and out of character, or is it something that's really harmful to the relationship? And as I keep giving them the benefit of the doubt, then it's making me look bad. Yeah, I know I was cheated on seven times, for instance, or, you know, I know I stayed when this happened and I shouldn't have, and I stayed 19 times. I went back, you know, at that point in time, that would be, that would be a little bit more for me, an ego thing. Um, 
so I'm kind of working on, you know, letting some of that go and saying, okay, I need to be very clear about what is harmful behavior to me and what is giving someone the benefit of the doubt for acting out of character. And I think that's the delineation for me. Well, and that goes into the red lines versus orange lines and what are you willing to tolerate? And if there are things that you're willing to tolerate in a person, then if you've already decided, well, I'm going to be with this, this person, then give them the benefit of the doubt. Just operate from that. You know, if they're not, mm-hmm. I'm not talking about cheating or abusive behavior, or anything like that, you know, but just being cranky or being upset or being quiet, you know, not communicating well, that's the kind of stuff that, you know, you say, okay, hey, can we talk about this? Can we, can we, you know, I don't like how that was said. I'd appreciate if you don't do that, but you know, I feel like I've asked for the benefit of the doubt a lot of times in my life. And I have a dog who is a maniac and like a lot of people wanted him put to sleep, you know, when I first got him and it's like, I gave him that space. Like I took on that stuff. Like I took on all of his issues. And if the issues in the relationship aren't causing you actual harm, you know, if that person isn't bringing you down, like they're not ruining your life or whatever, you kind of have to meet them where they are. And I think that that's kind of giving them the benefit of the doubt. Like people are going to act as they were trained to act when they were younger, unless they've done a lot of therapy. Yeah. Well, I mean, and you know, when we think about the benefit of the doubt too, there's one of my, my favorite topics to talk about with this is this idea of keeping score, right? Um, you know, somehow we fight back because we, you know, we don't give someone the benefit of the doubt because we want to be mm-hmm. right or whatever. And then we're, we're, you know, I'm not forgiving you. I don't want to forgive you because then, you know, then I, I look bad and, you know, so we keep score. So, you know, uh, you were, you were sharing with me earlier a little bit about the differences between keeping score. And I love these, the difference between tally and tit for tat. Maybe you can mm-hmm. share a little bit about what your, you know, kind of your thoughts are on that. But also if you have any experiences on, you know, being tallied or tallying someone or tit for tat when it comes to this topic. Well, tallying is like, you know, oh, they did this on this day. They did this on that day. They did this on this day, that day, that day. And just like keeping a running list and then, you know, not letting that stuff go. And it's like, how is that helping you? Okay. I, I, this is the way I feel like every day is a new day. You wake up, that stuff is gone over. If you're still with that person, let that stuff go. But there are people that tally that up. I've been with them that go to therapy and that is what's brought up is the, the list. And I feel like to me, that is destructive. You don't like it, get out of the relationship. But if you're mm-hmm. going to sit there and just keep a tally score, that's terrible. And then bring it up. Oh, mate, you did this on this day and this on that day and this on this day. Then the person can never be free of that, right? You're always going to be bound to, oh, you did this and you did that and you did this and that and that. On um, That right. really drives me crazy. And, and what purpose does it serve? It I mean, doesn't. It does doesn't it to the whole, make the nothing. person feel better? I right. don't know. I mean, if it's, your whole goal of a relationship is to bring each other up, tallying, it's never helping you do that. It, may, it might make you feel momentarily successful that you are right about something, but it undermines right. things. And it, again, you're not giving that person the benefit of the doubt or even your relationship, the benefit of the doubt. You're just destroying it by keeping track of this master list of nonsense. Right. Well, you know? and it becomes toxic. I think at some point, the same with the tit for tat, tit for tat's different than tallying. It's you did this, so therefore I'm going to do that. You did this, so I'm going to do that. You did this, so uh-huh. I'm going to do that. And that's just, you know, some people 
aren't as good as the other person. They're not as smart. They're not as capable. They're not as motivated. They're not as whatever. But if you're choosing to be with that person, then meet them where they are and, and don't keep a list or don't try and get back at them. Does getting back at anybody ever work? What is that saying? If you're going for revenge, bring two shovels. I don't know why you right. need two, but one. <laughs> oh yeah, one dig two yourself. graves yeah, or dig something. Two graves. Yep. Yeah. yeah, one for them and one for you because it's the same. It's like, what does the anger do? And a lot of people, you know, like to tell me, get angry after a breakup. You, you get mad. Well, why? What is that going to do for me? Is it is it serving a purpose or is it okay? Is it causing me more harm? And I think tit for tat to hold on to those things, tallying to hold on to those things, anger to hold on to that. It doesn't, it creates a toxic atmosphere and it hurts you. Exactly. You know? Yeah. In the end, it just, it hurts, it hurts everybody. There's nothing good that can come out of that in, you know, particularly in, in the relationship and and keeping that relationship productive and healthy. Mm -hmm. So let's wrap it up with this one kind of question here. So how much benefit of the doubt do you actually give someone? Is it, I mean, like how often do you give it? What's your, what's your grace? Do you have a, do you kind of have a, 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 you know, a thought about where your line is for the benefit of the doubt, or is it just really situational? For me, it's totally situational. It really depends on the person. It depends on the circumstances surrounding the person. It depends on, you know, I mean, it really does for me, but mm-hmm. I, everything is to me in life is fluid. And, you know, I can be in a relationship. We're in a nice, calm situation in Seattle. And then suddenly we're living with a dysfunctional family in Wyoming. And right. The person's that was in Seattle that I'm with is not going to be the same as the person that's now in this dysfunctional relationship in Wyoming. Right. Mm-hmm. Because everything has changed. Like you have to see that as your fluid situations are fluid and people, people, not all people have the same skill set. but you know what? Maybe there's something else inside them. That's really fantastic. That's where I land. Cause you know what I am. A hopeless romantic. You're the hopeless romantic and I'm the practical partner. I get it. <laughs> you uh, know what I mean? Yeah, I mean do you yeah. think I'm, I'm off base or you think I'm like, I mean, it's true. People, you can't in the law, there's the thing about a reasonable person, but it's a reasonable person under those circumstances, right? Yes. You can't judge someone as here's the reasonable person that is sitting at the desk and, you know, they're typing out, they're, they're looking at the scenario and they're deciding what they're going to do in a vacuum. No, you have to look at the reasonable person in light of what's happening around them. How would a reasonable person act in those circumstances? And that's where I go. We are all fluid. We're all going to act differently in different circumstances, you know? And Mm -hmm. I just think like, if you have COVID and you're on a train platform in Amsterdam and you have a meltdown because no one wants to go to eat falafel with you, that shouldn't define your whole life, right? Like it shouldn't make your marriage fall apart or these terrible things. Like I take it, a- you're channeling something because <laughs> this is a very odd example. Is this, very, is this like people, a you want the people to go to crazy? falafel with you, right? Like it's so, like so someone not- wouldn't go to falafel with you when you were sick in Amsterdam. Is that what- yes with COVID? And because then- I'm sure our listeners can totally relate to that that fictional example you just put out. If you're like the person, you know, like you've got the stress. Your mom is sick, or you're taking care of a sick parent, right? You're not no. the same person as 
if you were just having a great work, like, you know what I mean? You're, let's say you're a single lady, you're working, everything's great. You're this great person. Now suddenly you got two kids. You're not going to be that same person. And you have to look at that person in light of those circumstances. Does that make sense? Oh, it makes sense. Absolutely makes sense. Except for the Amsterdam flaffle part for a while, wow. but then I got it. I'm totally yes. caught up. Okay. Um, I think, you know, I, I, I tend to be right there on the same page with you. I, for me though, there's a couple of things that are just pretty critical. One is to what extent is the severity of what it is that they have done and how many times have they done it over and over? So something like really, mm-hmm. really extensive, like right. a cheating, a lying, a stealing or whatever it is. But, um, you know, so that goes back to that red line, orange line thing we talked about in a previous podcast. So I think that there for me, I think the benefit of the doubt aligns with those red lines and orange lines. Um, and that's pretty clear, but I do think circumstances matter. And I've come to learn that, you know, a lot of times when people behave in ways that, you know, aren't really all that productive, they're not really proud of those behaviors either. They're Mm -hmm. not really excited. I mean, I, when I'm cranky and I say something, I think, oh, I just want to reel that back. Usually people don't go around acting like that out of character and thinking, I feel great and really positive about what I just said. People are usually remorseful about it. And so I, you know, I'm able to pick up on that too and say, okay, that's not how I want to show up. That's not, I'm sure how they want to show up and let's work together again. And you want someone to give you that benefit, exactly, right? Exactly. Exactly. And again, taken me many, many relationships to figure mm-hmm. this out again, still working through it because, you know, this is all a journey, but, um, we are about out of time here, but we, I, again, Tracy, thanks for a great conversation, especially around this, you know, this topic with it, you know, some of the things we've been doing in this podcast is talking about really the nuances of relationships, really down to some, some things that maybe we don't really think about as much. And, you know, this was one of those topics I hadn't really given a lot of specific thought to until we did it, which is, you know, giving someone the benefit of the doubt. I mean, that's a really interesting concept when we, when we think about it and, you know, at what point do we do, you know, do that? At what point don't we do that? And what's holding us back? And why do we assume the worst? And, you know, what can we do to, you know, maybe foster the idea that people are, quote, inherently good or have good intentions? And, you know, these are all really important things to think about as we continue to want to pursue and maintain our relationships to be healthy. So uh, thank you so much for tuning in and listening today. We're excited about this topic and we are excited about our next podcast, which is about um, giving each other space, this idea of independence, interdependence, and, you know, and maybe how codependence sort of creeps into the things that we're doing. How do we create space for me, you, and us in our relationships? So stay tuned for another great podcast. And in the meantime, Go out there and rock those relationships. If you liked what you heard, check out our show notes for resources from today's episode. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram under Rock That Relationship and go to our website at rockthatrelationship.com for updated episodes and more great information. Thanks for listening. Now go rock those relationships.